This is the How Did You Get Into That Podcast with Grant Baldwin, episode 22. Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That Podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. Hey, what's up, my friends? Welcome to episode 22 of How Did You Get Into That? My name's Grant, and I am honored that you decided to hang out with us for reals, full reels. I know that you've got a lot of podcast listening opportunities. There's a lot of different shows and different things that you could be spending your time doing. But thanks for hanging out with us. Really, really means a lot. I hope these uh, these episodes are inspiring and encouraging to you. I know we've had a lot of emails from people that have been coming in people going, Grant, these episodes are helping me, but they're helping me want to quit my job. And I don't know how to quit. I don't know how to make that transition to go from something I hate to something I love. What do I do? How do I make this leap? How do I make this jump? A couple things I'd encourage you to do. One is uh, we put together a list of questions, five questions that you can download for free. Just go to grantbaldon.com slash questions, grantbaldon.com slash questions. There you'll find the, the five questions to help you find and do work you love. So I'd encourage you to, to swing by, check that out. Also, feel free to email me anytime. Just grant at grantbalden.com. Just say, hey, this is kind of what I'm chewing on. This is what I'm pondering. And this is what I'm wrestling with. I get emails all the time from people who are going, all right, you said to mention that you said to to email you. I decided to. I never never do this. But uh, for whatever reason, I decided to email you, see if I'd actually get a reply. They're always shocked when they do because I like to email with people. I like to correspond with people. I like to hear what's going on in your world. So again, feel free to email me grant at grantbalden.com. And uh, like I said, be sure to check out the uh, grantbalden.com slash questions. Now, if you're someone who's going, man, I'm really serious about making a leap. This isn't just like a pie in the sky pipe dream or something. I really want to make a leap. Another thing that we do uh, with a few people is we offer some coaching. So if you'd say, man, I really, I need someone to just kind of help guide me and lead me and, and uh, walk me through this process of transition or starting a business or uh, building an online brand or starting a podcast or getting into speaking or whatever that thing may be that you're looking for some assistance with. We're doing some coaching with a few select people. So if you're interested in being a part of that, then uh, feel free to let us know. You can find info on that at grantbaldwin.com slash coaching. Again, grantbaldwin.com slash coaching. All right, enough about all that. Let's get to episode 22 here. Today, we're joined by uh, my friend Doug Neal. And uh, Doug is someone that you may not be familiar with, but he is an incredibly talented sketch artist and graphic recorder. Now, uh, you may be going, okay, I, what is that? I caught artists, and that's about the only thing that I understand. So what is a sketch artist? What is a graphic recorder? We will get into a little bit of that today. But basically, Doug is a guy who would take a, a talk, for example. Maybe you've seen a TED talk. And so he's someone that would take a, a talk that is a verbal, and he would turn it into a graphic, would turn it into an image, and sketch out a talk. So he is someone who really takes ideas and makes them visual and draws them out and sketches them out. So really kind of a unique niche. So whenever I first found out, whenever I first met Doug, we'd met at a conference and he was telling me about what he did. Immediately, my question was, say it with me, boys and girls, how'd you get into that? Like, how does someone actually become a a sketch artist, a graphic recorder? How do you make a living doing this? So uh, he has a really, really great story. Today, you'll hear about what he did, what he was interested in as a kid, how that came back out nearly 20 years later as an adult in his current career, which I think is is I think is a great place for people to start when whenever I talk with people 
who are going, man, I just have, I have no idea what I want to do with my life. It's good to look back. When you were a kid, what were the things that just came easy to you? What were the things that you were just drawn to? What were the things that you just, I don't know, it just clicked. It just made sense for me. What were some of those things? Because oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes those, those things that just you were drawn to as a child tend to come back out as an adult and something that you, uh, that still appeals to you. So we'll talk a little bit about that with, uh, with Doug today. We'll also talk about how he tried four separate career paths before finally landing on something he wanted to do. You'll hear about the light bulb moment he had sitting in a Starbucks watching a TED Talk when he realized the path he wanted to take. And uh, one of the things that I really, really liked about this is once he had this moment, like this light bulb moment, how he immediately took action on his idea. Even though he wasn't like super confident in what he was doing or, or where to actually go, he immediately took action and how that began to open up some doors of opportunity. And I think that's so, so critical for that, that so many people miss out on is I have this idea, I have this dream, I know this thing that I want to do, but then we just don't do anything with it. And some of you, maybe you're listening to this and maybe you've got some dreams, some ideas, some goals, this type of life that you want to have. But let's be honest, that dream has just been sitting on the shelf collecting dust for years. Maybe it's time that you take that down and dust the, well, clean the dust off and say, that if we're serious about this, if we really are, want to be intentional about leaving a life we hate and creating and, and doing work that we love, then we've got to really become laser focused on this and start taking action towards this. And so uh, I think you'll, you'll be encouraged and inspired today on this episode with Doug. As always, you can find all the show notes, links, everything that we discuss at grantbaldwin.com slash Doug Neal. So make sure that you swing by, check that out. Leave us a comment in the the show notes there as well. We'd love to hear from you. So let's get to this. Here we go. Doug Neal, episode 22. Enjoy. All right. Today I'm hanging out with my friend Doug Neal. Doug, how you doing, man? I am doing well. Thanks for having me on today. You bet, buddy. Hey, all right. So you, you do sketch notes, you do illustrations, you're a sketch artist, you teach people about all of this stuff. What exactly is it that you do? So what I do is I use some combination of words and images in a hand-sketched format to sketch out ideas. I think when a lot of times when we think about ways to either capture information that we're taking in from from some source, be it like a book or a lecture or a talk, or if we're trying to put some information out just from ourselves, some idea of our own, we often rely exclusively on on words to get that idea across. But as I've found in the past couple of years, once you kind of add a more visual element to that idea sharing, it can make the ideals both more powerful, easier to understand when you add some visuals to it. These aren't fancy illustrations, but just like quick, even stick figure sketches or simple little icons to correspond with uh, whatever idea you're trying to to capture to to get across. So, Um, So from like a practical standpoint, how does this actually play out in terms of a business or how you make a living doing this? Is this like you're being hired by a a company to sketch something or individuals or other artists that you work with or people trying to write a book or, or how does that play out tangibly? Yeah, I guess there there are two main sides, two avenues to the the business side of of what I do. One is providing this as a service, so you kind of hit on a lot of the groups that that might want to get an idea of theirs across visually. Um, some people, there's a whole profession actually called graphic recording, and a graphic recorder is someone who would 
go to an event, be it maybe maybe a conference where folks are giving talks throughout a day, and they'd kind of throw up some big poster paper on the wall. And then as these talks are being given, the graphic recorder will be there on the side uh, sketching out those ideas in a big format using this combination of words and visuals as a record of the talk and also kind of to keep the audience even if the audience isn't looking at that while it's going on and maybe just after the fact they go and check it out, it then becomes this visual summary of kind of each of the talks throughout the day. So you end up with kind of a big picture idea of what was shared at that event. No, I was going to say, as you're describing that, like I th- the, the comparison, I guess, or I guess it's the same thing that, that comes to mind is some of those TED Talks I've seen where they've got the, uh, like the dry erase board and as the talk is happening, they're kind of sketching out what's being talked about and just kind of formulating it into an image. Is that, so that's basically what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of the the style that you that you go for. So those videos that have gone gone along with some of those TED talks, those are pretty darn like polished sketches. So I think it's important to understand they don't have to look that good. But in general, that's kind of the the feel that you're going for. How do like who is it? Just primarily companies that pay you to do this, or who are the people that that would find out about your work and say, hey, can you come do that for us? Yeah, for that type of work, it's it's generally uh, companies, and it is a little pricey, I guess, because that's kind of a, in doing that as a graphic recorder, it's a combination of a whole lot of skills, listening and sketching out in real time and organizing all that information visually. So it, it tends to be kind of bigger companies that that kind of afford that type of work. But I actually kind of where I've been going with like a big picture planning meeting, maybe just some internal thing where they're trying to figure out what they want the next year to look like in terms of what 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 they're doing. They'll bring in maybe someone like that as well to help kind of process out ideas. Gotcha. It seems like if you're trying to do that for a live event, like that's a, uh, you got to be thinking real fast on your toes. You got to be a few steps ahead. And that seems like that would be a very like intense and even somewhat like high pressure type gig. It is. It's very much that, which is what, part of the reason why I have kind of moved in a slightly different direction because of that, that high stress and, and pressure. Obviously, the benefit of that is because it's high pressure and brings together all those skills. It does pay pretty well for the folks that want to get into it, which is which is a nice benefit. But I've kind of moved toward, as far as the, the services side of, of what I do, focusing a little bit more on remote work. So stuff that I can do in my own time, in in my own workspace. So now I'm kind of gearing more toward taking information that's already been recorded, like be it a a talk that, that was either videoed or you have audio for, or maybe an article, and taking that information and putting together a, a sketch that I'll start out sketching by hand, but then maybe scan into the computer and do some editing, a little bit of touch-up, and then what I would deliver as the kind of end product would be this static visual summary that then whoever I'm doing that work for can post to their website or create a poster out of it or send out to to their audience or whoever they want to share gotcha. that idea with. So yeah. that's kind of, yeah, that's what I'm doing on that end. Nice. That makes sense. Is this, I mean, is this something that you always wanted to do or is this something that you just saw someone else doing and you're like, oh, that clicked, it resonated, <laughs> that's it. Uh, how did you, this become an option for you? Yeah, it was definitely the latter. It was something that I I saw a, a couple of years ago, really. So it's a relatively new new thing for me, uh, two or three years now that I've been been working on this. And it started with a TED Talk, actually. There's a great short talk out there by a gal named Sunny Brown. I think the talk itself is called Doodlers Unite. 
Okay. And it's all about promoting this idea of encouraging doodling, a, a purposeful kind of minds-on doodling where you're you're processing ideas by kind of sketching things out and, and not being afraid to do some doodling and make some marks while you're listening to, to something because of all the the benefits to, to the brain and to the learning process when you create something visual because our brains kind of naturally attach to, to visuals more than we do to words. So in that talk, she was kind of just explaining the, the background behind all that and why she encourages folks to do it. And at the time I had just gotten, I'd been substitute teaching for a couple of years. That's kind of where my, my schooling background is. I got a degree to, to teach math and science at the high school level, but wasn't quite sure that there were certain things about that that didn't quite feel like the perfect fit for me. So while I was substitute teaching, I was kind of starting to look for other avenues to explore and particularly something that I could develop on the side a little bit while I was substitute teaching and exploring that world of classroom teaching. And it was when I was in that phase of kind of looking for something to develop on my own that I came across Sonny's TED Talk. And that idea just resonated with me really well because I'd always enjoyed learning in general, but at times was was frustrated by how little I would remember some things, even just like a, a couple weeks or a month after reading a book or hearing about some idea that I really liked. So for me, I kind of entered that that world of sketching out ideas on a personal level of wanting to develop a tool to just help me process stuff on my own. But then as I got better at it, realized that there was this whole profession out there, this graphic recording profession, and that, that people will pay you to, to sketch out their ideas. So then I'm kind of shifted in, in that direction a bit. Gotcha. Very cool. So it seems like once you saw that TED Talk, it seemed like did the a light bulb immediately go off? It was just immediate like, oh, this is it. I found it. Because it seems like like some people I've talked to, once they see someone doing it or see someone talking about it, there's, it's just an immediate connection. Like, that's it. That's what I want to do. Or it's more of a, I see it, it's kind of, I'm going to kick it around, I'm going to massage it, I'm going to nurture it for a few months, and then I eventually kind of stumble into it, and that's, that's the next step. But it seems like for you, you saw that video, and it was like, ah, this is it. I found someone who's doing what I want to do. Yeah, it was definitely that, that kind of a, in some ways, stereotypical light bulb moment, but that is how it, it felt. And I can remember even the coffee shop in Portland that I was sitting in, and even where, like what, what table I was at. When I watched that that TED talk, because right away I went and like bought a new domain name and kind of got the blog where I kind of documented my process learning all this stuff. I bought that right away and then kind of just just hit the ground running. And uh, it took a while for the for me to figure out how I wanted to incorporate that that skill and all that stuff into. I guess now my my professional life. There's a couple years of of exploring it, but I did know right away that there was something that just hit me pretty strong with that idea that that resonated strongly. And I could kind of see its usefulness from from the beginning, either for in the beginning there, I knew that it would at least be useful for myself and that there was potential for it to earn me some income down the line. Nice. So let's backtrack a bit. So are you born and raised in Oregon, Portland area? Yeah, so Oregonian through and through. I grew up just outside of Eugene in a in a small town called Pleasant Hill, but then moved up to to Portland a few years after graduating from college. But I'm now back down in in Pleasant Hill actually. 
Okay. Time being. So, I mean, even growing up as a kid, were you always just drawn to, to drawing and art and creativity or is that something that just evolved over time or how did that come into play? Yeah, that didn't really, that, I guess, kind of artistic side didn't come out at all until after that Sonny Brown TED talk. So, so that drawing has all been new as a result of getting into the the whole sketching out ideas thing. Growing up, I can remember enjoying drawing up until about second or third grade, kind of at a time when typically in a lot of kind of school settings at a, at a certain point, you make the shift to primarily just writing as a way to get ideas across and to, to take notes and all that sort of stuff. So I really wasn't into art all that much um, growing up. So it's only, it was kind of from the very practical side of the reason I started sketching out ideas in the first place was because this kind of practical intellectual benefit. But once I was kind of open to that, now I'm kind of getting more into the art stuff and enjoying where that's going. But that's interesting. So even, and so when did you watch this, this Ted talk? When did that click? How old were you then? I would have been about 25. Okay. Yeah, that was about three years ago. So, so I mean, you're, you're, you know, fooling around with sketching and drawing and stuff as a kid, but I mean, it basically more or less sits dormant for 20 years or so before you see something and it just, it kind of illuminates and comes, comes back out of you. That that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's really funny actually, because I do one of my, my best friends growing up who I'm, who I'm still in touch with. We joke about the fact that at that age, like second, third grade, we made these like big plans of traveling the country, like one of us writing stories and the other like illustrating those those stories. And now kind of that that dream, both the writing and sketching and then also kind of just traveling the country in a car, which is a dream of mine as well. Those are coming back for me and I'm starting to kind of pursue those and take those very young childhood dreams more, more seriously, which is kind of a, a fun thing to do as well. Comes full circle, circle of life. And that's, exactly. you know, I don't think that's anything to just brush past either, because I think, you know, so many times when people are saying, Hey, figuring out what you're, what you're passionate about, what you're good at, what you're drawn to. A lot of the things that we are drawn to as adults or a lot of things that we're good at or passionate about were also things that naturally just came to us as kids. And so even if you go back to some of your earliest memories of what were things that you were into and what were things that you were good at, what were things that appealed to you oftentimes show up later in life. So, I mean, that's definitely an exercise just to, for anybody to just stop and sit down and think through like, what did I enjoy as a kid? What were some of my earliest memories? What were the things that I did that really made me come alive? And even, even as a parent today, I've got three little girls. And so I try to pay attention to what are the things that they're naturally drawn to that I haven't instructed them to do or given them any direction to do, but they just, they're into, they pick up, they, it makes sense. It clicks for them. And just trying to see what are some of those clues that I wonder if those things will come back into play later in life for them. So that's always, that's real interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That is very interesting. Did you, I assume you went to college out there in Oregon? Yeah. yeah. What, what did you so study? I, Where'd you go? What was that process like? Yeah. So I went to school at Willamette University, which is in Salem, Oregon. It's a, a small liberal arts school, which I, I loved. I liked the, both the smallness of it and the liberal arts approach. I studied physics and Spanish while at, at Willamette, which for me physics was a really fun, and fun combo. Yeah. Yeah. What was so it about went, those that appealed to you? Well, so I kind of went in knowing that physics was an interest. So I kind of started on that track as a major, as, as a freshman, but I also knew that I wanted to study abroad 
which thankfully like Willamette is a school that very much promotes that. And even kind of taking a hard science as a, as a major still allowed the freedom and the opportunity to to spend a year in Ecuador, which is what I ended up doing my junior year after taking Spanish classes, both my freshman and, and sophomore year. And loved it. Had such a blast in in that year down in uh, Ecuador. And I also had a couple months to travel around most of, of South America, which was awesome and kind of gave me the, the travel bug for the first time. And what I liked about that combination of, of subject is really the, the difference between the two. It was fun. I'm very much into science and there's a lot that I love about physics, but I also loved kind of switching from back and forth from that hard science more to this, this language. Uh, Cause I felt that one exercising different parts of my brain, but also just kind of gave different perspectives on, on the world, being sure. able to look at the world through the lens of, of physics or through this lens of a, of a new language and a different culture both of those were were pretty valuable to me. So had the plan been all along that you were going to study those and then eventually just get into teaching? No, I guess I didn't have a whole lot of a plan going into college other than, you know, knowing there was this interest in, in physics. And once I kind of developed a love for Spanish and had such a great time during that year in, in Ecuador, kind of made for a hard decision my senior year. Because more or less right when I came back from from Ecuador at the start of my senior year, I kind of had to start thinking about what came next. Mm -hmm. And it was a hard decision because I kind of knew either, well, do I want to go something with the physics route or something with the Spanish route? And uh, what I decided to do was to go the the physics route. So I applied for graduate schools in, in physics with the idea of becoming a college professor, which would allow me to have the combination of doing teaching, which I knew that I enjoyed through some tutoring that I had done, uh, but then also doing research at the same time, which I'd also gotten a taste of as, as an undergrad. And I liked the idea of, of that combo. Uh, so I applied to a number of schools and ended up, I, I had spent most of my life, well, all of my life in, in Oregon, other than that year in Ecuador. So I decided to head over to the East Coast for that graduate program in physics and did that at Northeastern University in, in Boston. But the thing about that program, it was a PhD program in physics. And the, the Which typical- just sounds hardcore. <laughs> it, it felt pretty hardcore. And it was a little bit daunting too going in. And the first year was a, a bit of a struggle. There were certain things that I liked about the program, but there was a lot that I didn't like. So it was kind of getting to that feeling of, of not quite being the, the right fit for me. So it was after that, after that first year, seeing that there were going to be another five or six years to get all the way to actually receiving my PhD and then looking for a, a professor gig somewhere with, with that kind of long-term goal less appealing, I, I decided to, to take a leave of absence from that program. And, uh, so it was, a, it was a year into it when you quickly realize, ah, uh, this isn't what I signed up for. This isn't what I'm hoping. I'm seeing in the horizon that this is not what I want it to be. Yeah, yeah. That feeling had kind of developed over that over that first year. And it's kind of funny. The thing that actually made me kind of make that leap away from that program uh, was that, buying an iPod Touch, actually, and getting into, I remember a very distinct feeling, which I don't know if you're 
depending on the age of your listeners, if they will remember the first time they got like an iPod touch or an iPhone when you could touch something on yeah. the screen and, and make it make it move, make it happen. Totally. But from that first experience, I kind of decided that I wanted to experiment with developing apps, which through the physics program, I had a, a little bit of experience with computer programming. So I had some of those those skills, but as I kind of looked into what it would take to, to build an app, I realized that I could learn from books and pick, pick some things up. And uh, <laughs> so my initial goals or one of my initial things that I was into immediately after leaving that physics program was kind of developing some iPhone and iPod Touch apps, which was an interesting experience, but didn't last too long. So you, you dabble with that for a little bit. Where did the, the teaching part come into it? When did you start getting into that? And what, what led to that? Yeah, so that came in after kind of experimenting with the whole app making thing for about six months or so and kind of recognizing that that wasn't the, the path that I wanted to continue down. The teaching part had kind of always been in the back of my mind. Like it was part of the motivation for going to that graduate program in, in physics. And I just kept thinking about kind of what, recognizing my interest in, in teaching, I started thinking about, okay, what age of students would I want to, did I think I could most connect with and have a, have a good impact on their lives? And that's kind of what led me to, to high school teaching. I spent some time kind of visiting a couple of uh, high school classrooms, the, the classrooms that, that I was in at my alma mater. And there's something about that setting that, that felt right. So once I, I saw that, that's when I went back and got my master's in, in teaching to be a high school math and science teacher. Okay. So you've, I mean, up to this point, you've done the, the physics stuff, you've pursued the physics stuff, you've done the Spanish stuff, you've gone to Ecuador. Now we're switching gears and playing with the, the apps and then switching gears and playing again with the, the teaching stuff. How are you feeling through all of this? Are you <laughs> feeling like I'm getting closer to what I want to do or I just feel like I'm bouncing around? What are you thinking? What's swimming around in your head at this point? Yeah, I could definitely, it did feel like that I was getting closer to the thing that that felt right to me and the thing that I knew I would want to devote a number of years to, particularly within that year of the, the graduate program in, in teaching. I had a great time that, that year, the, the school part of that year, I guess. So learning about the process of learning, learning about education kind of exposed me to a lot of cool ideas that I wish I had known as a, as a learner, kind of just things about like education psychology, how the brain works, how your body develops and all these different learning styles. So there was a lot that I enjoyed about that, that program. So that, that felt right as I was going through it. So you start doing the, the teaching thing. Are you doing that as a full-time deal or is that, are you just subbing or what's that role like? Yeah. So I started subbing, um, right after I got that degree and, I knew right after I got that degree that I wasn't ready to jump into a full-time teaching position. I knew that because I, I struggled a bit with my student teaching experience. So I kind of mentioned how much I enjoyed my classroom learning, learning how to become a teacher. But there's a huge, huge gap between kind of learning about teaching and then stepping into a classroom right. and teaching every day totally. in front of all these kids in two different experiences, two different environments. And I think there were enough, enough challenges in the school setting, enough of a, of a gap in my, I consider myself primarily an introverted person. So it was a little bit kind of figuring out what type of person I wanted to be at the front of the classroom, which I know I, when I was a student, I like never really thought about that when I'm thinking about my teachers, about their, 
their personal life or their maybe personal struggles with being in this role as a teacher. But once you're in that role yourself, it's like, whoa, there's a lot to this. Once you got into to teaching, did you feel like this is it and I found the thing that I'm looking for? Or did you just still feel frustrated and like, ah, I thought this was it, but I'm not, you know, I'm X amount of time into it and I'm feeling like maybe this isn't. Yeah, I definitely was feeling a little bit frustrated, mainly just with not, I knew that I was very passionate about education. What I wasn't quite sure of is whether or not being that classroom teacher, that guy that's in, in, in the front of the room kind of directing things, I wasn't sure if that was the, the best fit for my personality. So that's kind of why I went into substitute teaching for a while, which actually really helped because kind of being in bouncing around from different classrooms day to day, being in different environments in different schools, getting to know different kids, that kind of helped me feel that world out a bit and kind of get more comfortable in that role. But still, I could still tell there was enough about entering that profession full time that wasn't quite right, which right. is why ultimately when this other interest arose in, in sketching out ideas, I kind of jumped at bat. Now I really find myself kind of merging those two interests. Yeah, it like sounds I like of, it. I mean, it sounds like either way when you were teaching, it was more just the I'm into education and uh, whether that be standing in a classroom or another format, but I'm interested in, in teaching other people and just sharing ideas. And it sounds like that's, you know, that's still what you're doing today, just in a, a different context. Yeah. Absolutely. How long had you been teaching before you stumbled across the, uh, the TED Talk? I had been substitute teaching for a, about two years. Okay. So yeah. you're doing that. You see the TED Talk. You have that moment, that epiphany, the light bulb in the, in the coffee shop. What do you do next? How do you begin to make some like tangible steps towards actually making that a reality? Yeah. So it really all just started with, with a blog, which is, again, it's kind of a stereotypical thing to say, I guess. But I mentioned right after seeing that TED Talk... I went and bought a domain name right away, thegraphicrecorder.com. Even before I really knew, I guess at the beginning, I kind of explained what graphic recording is all about. But right after watching that TED Talk, I had done like 30 minutes of like Googling about this subject in general. Didn't quite realize that, that graphic recording was a kind of established profession. But I did notice that, hey, thegraphicrecorder.com is available. I'm going to buy that and start blogging there. And so you did, I, you did that pretty quick. Yeah, that was kind of the the closest thing to like that light bulb moment that I, I knew I wanted to act on that right away. So you take that next step and it, is it, it sounds like it's more along the lines of, I'm not really sure how this is going to play out or if, or how this could turn into a business or a job or a career or profession or whatever, but I see how this is appealing to me. And so I'm going to just take some type of action and take a step in that direction. Yeah. And in particular, the thing that was appealing to me is that I had seen over even I guess from, from the, the time I, I entered college, every couple of years, I felt like I kind of switched directions a little bit. And, and I could tell that part of that is me just kind of, you know, like figuring out who I am and how I want to contribute to the world. But I think also a part of that made me recognize that I have a variety of interests. So what appealed to me about this sketch noting, this doodling of, of ideas was that I, I now kind of consider it a, a core skill. So I knew that would be something that I would be able to apply to any particular interest or subject that I got into in the future. So that's a little bit why I was kind of ready to, to act on that right away when I came across it, because I knew it was something that could follow me, even if I went back to the classroom or into any other job, that this ability to, to sketch out ideas, to process things in a, in a visual way, and then share those ideas in a way that other people can grasp quickly 
that that would be kind of a valuable skill to have. What about whenever you're kind of going through all of this and, and over, you know, what sounds like a five, six, seven year period, you go through three or four or five different, different distinct career tracks. What are your friends and family thinking of all this? (laughs) They've all been supportive along the way. So the first time that I kind of actually stepped away from, from something or quote unquote quit something was when I left that graduate program in, in physics. And I distinctly remember like having conversations. I was like walking around in, in Boston, talking with, with my mom and dad back here in, in Eugene and talking about this, the, the fact that I was thinking about leaving and moving to something else. And both my parents were super supportive. But I, and I remember my mom saying, yeah, I, I mean, I definitely I'm fully supportive of whatever you do, but it just feels weird to have you kind of like quit something like you've never quit anything before. But it was definitely they, they recognized that it was it was the right decision. And even making that decision to, to move away from that program, even though that was hard to kind of do that, to quit something for the first time, in some ways it made it easier to make the shifts that came after that. And even though you can kind of get caught up in this idea that, oh, I'm just continually moving directions and not really doing anything, for me, it was important to be able to do that exploration because I think it's leading to something that's going to leave me more fulfilled in, in the long run. Right. And I think my, my, my parents and friends and, and family, I think they recognize that too. So. so you start the blog and you kind of get that ball rolling. How long did it take you kind of working on this before you, you started to get the sense like, hey, I, I think I could actually make a business. I think this could actually be something and more than just a, a side, uh, a doodle hobby, lit- literally <laughs> and figuratively. But like, I, yeah. I see how like I could actually make my living doing this. At what point did you start to feel traction or feel confidence that this, this might work? So it was about a year into blogging that since I was doing it relatively regularly and putting a bunch of like, every time I would sketch something out, I'd put it up on the blog and write a bit about it. Like at first, my my sketches kind of looked pretty ugly and disjointed and not super clear. But eventually, you know, they got better and, and better over time. And there came a point about a year in when every now and again, people would like send me an email and being like, hey, I saw your sketch of this thing. I've got this thing. Will you sketch out mine? And I'll, I'll like, how much would you charge for that? So the moment people started asking, how much would you charge to, to sketch out my thing? When it's like, oh, okay. I knew that. I like, see this. I knew that, I knew that there was kind of a, I had seen the profession of, of graphic recording, but didn't quite see how I would enter that. So it's almost by, by other people getting in, in touch with me initially that I realized that, that it was maybe time if I wanted to, to kind of start shifting things in that direction from, well, uh, and even whenever you started the blog, so you say you're, you know, you're, you're doing a couple sketches, you're throwing them up there. And like, even you said, they're, they're not that great, but you're throwing something up there. How do you kind of get over that internal voice of saying it's not good enough, but I'm going to throw it up there anyway. It's hard. And I still hear that voice, but I think for me, what helped was approaching it from the perspective of a learner and, explicitly saying like on the blog that like, Hey, I'm learning this skill I'm developing over time. And by approaching it in that way, I I wasn't too worried initially about them looking a certain way. I wanted them to look good, but I knew that what I was most concerned in was growth over time. So it's kind of by focusing on that, that growth and, and consistent output of stuff that I 
most of the time and able to get over that that internal critic that says, no, don't put that up. Nobody's going to like that. People are going to think it's stupid. But that's something that still, I think anybody that that puts creative work out into the world, we still struggle with that no matter how far along you go. That's that's what I've heard now that I've started paying attention to other people that are doing a lot of creative work. Sure. So So after, well, it's interesting now that you know, that first year I was definitely approaching it from the perspective of, of a learner and was fine putting up anything. Now that I'm kind of transitioning into doing it on a professional level, it kind of like ups the stakes a little bit. So in some ways right. the pressure now is, is a little bit more. But really the the thing that I I focus on most is just not letting that internal resistance stop me from from putting stuff out and still knowing that over time I'm going to keep getting better and better. So keep let's, focusing on that. Let's wrap up with this. So you're sitting in that coffee shop and you watch that video and the light bulb goes off. You have the moment where this is it. Is there anything looking back now that you have done differently to get to where you're at? Hmm, great question. From that point on, the only thing I would say is maybe trying to stay a, a little bit more consistent with it. Like I was relatively consistent with the way I was pursuing that thing and, and, and sharing stuff. But there were periods of time when I was like a little bit down and discouraged about how things were going. And if I had kind of just stuck to a more consistent routine of output, I think that would would have helped me in the long run. And that's really what I focus on now is just consistency in what I'm doing. So if I had developed that consistency early on, that moment that I realized, like, yes, this is the thing I want to pursue, then I think that would have would have helped me in more in that first year. Nice. So even like when you're not sure if this is it, not sure if you're if get if the confidence is there, not sure if anyone's even reading or liking or appreciating this, like just keep cranking it out. If anything, just for your own sake of hey, I'm I'm doing this. I'm putting in the work, even when no one's maybe looking, and maybe this turns into something. Exactly. That that's really the only way you'll figure out one whether or not you like it enough to keep going with it, and and two how other people are responding it as well. It's just to keep keep putting a lot of stuff out there. Keep Beautiful. doing the work. Great stuff, man. Hey, where can uh, people find out more about you? Check out all these sketches for sure. Yeah, I have a growing portfolio of sketches on all sorts of of random topics. So the blog where I started everything is thegraphicrecorder.com. But I now also I've, I've got a few other projects going on. You can kind of find everything at Doug Neal. Dot com And that kind of points you to all the other stuff. Neil with two L's. Yes. N-E-I-L-L. Deal. Awesome. 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 <laughs> well, we will link to all of those in the show notes. We'll also uh, see if we can track down that TED Talk. And so maybe that will be the epiphany for someone listening to this right now that uh, their sketch note career begins <laughs> with the same TED Talk. So Doug, thanks, man. I appreciate you taking the time and sharing uh, your journey, your story and how you got into this. So uh, we'll talk to you soon. Great. Thank you, Grant. Appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. All right, there you have it, episode 22 with Doug Neal. Hope you enjoyed that. Hopefully that was uh, encouraging and inspiring to you. Again, hearing someone that's doing something unique, something interesting, not something necessarily that he went to school for and how he actually he bounced around, tried a few different things before finally landing on this thing. And that can be encouraging, but at the same time, I understand it can be discouraging in some ways. Of People are going, okay, I'm in a job that I hate right now. Uh, I'm not sure what I want to do. How many things do I have to bounce around? How many things do I have to go through in order to find that one thing? I don't know what the answer is. Maybe you leave this thing and you find the next thing that you love. Maybe you try a couple things before you land on that thing. My question, though, is what is it going to take? Is it worth it to you to try one or two or three different things to land on the thing that you love? Or 
are you content to just continually do something that you hate? Listen, you've heard me say it so many times, but life is too short to do something you hate. We all have to work. We all have to make a living. Why wouldn't you do something that you enjoy? So I hope that Doug's story, finding something that's random, something that's kind of out there, and then figuring out how to make that happen of immediately taking action, I hope that is inspiring and encouraging to you. A couple things that we'll wrap up with. Uh, if you haven't had a chance, I'd love for, if you're digging the show, we'd love for you to leave us a, a rating and review in iTunes. You can go to grantbaldon.com slash iTunes. Again, grantbaldon.com slash iTunes. We got a, a great one the other day from username Mr. Joshua. Comes from Australia. Does I really like the conversational style of interviews. Grant's one of the best. He delves in deep and gets the answers we all want to hear from some really inspirational guests. It's one of my top podcasts I listen to as I go about the business of life. Thanks, Grant. Great podcast. Excellent stuff. Thanks for that, Mr. Joshua. Appreciate that. Uh, from the land down under. Was that, that was more of a British accent. My wife gives me grief because uh, she says my, my British accent and my Australian accent seem to, uh, to merge. But nonetheless, listeners literally all over the world. So that's pretty cool to hear from uh, Australia. Hey, one other thing I mentioned to you, I mentioned at the top of the show, you can go to grandbaldoncom slash questions to download those five questions to help you find and do work you love. If you're serious about doing the homework, about doing the, the soul searching work to figure out what is that thing that you were put on this planet to do, I would definitely, definitely Definitely, definitely encourage you to swing by. Check that out. GrantBaldon.com slash questions. All right, that wraps up uh, episode 22. We'll be coming at you again real soon. Until then, continue on your journey to find and do work you love. You're awesome. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit GrantBaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.